Revelation chapter 14, we covered week before last because we had our video last week. We covered verses 1 through 5. This week, verses 6 through 12. Let's read those verses together. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the water of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we continue on in our study of Revelation, we still have much to cover, but every verse is filled with tremendously important, vital information, and we just ask you to bless this study today. May we learn and grow from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a lot of angels going on here in this book of Revelation, and no doubt angelic activity has been and will continue to increase in the last days, both good angels and bad angels. But this angel, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. So some have said, because we as those who believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints before the tribulation, people have, we say that that which restraineth will be removed. The restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit living within millions of believers all over the planet that creates a restraining influence against all the evil, the evil we've been talking about. You think it's bad now, wait till all the believers are gone. But then people say, well, if God's going to remove the Holy Spirit, so to speak, how are people going to get saved in the tribulation? Because there will be those who get saved. This is part of the answer right here. He is going to send an angel to literally preach the gospel to the people of the earth. How that's going to look, we don't know. But if, if it's in the Word, we need to believe it. This will help to fulfill God's promise that the gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations before Christ returns. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now keep in mind, the end is not the rapture. The rapture is just like a parenthesis or a prelude coming before the tribulation. The second coming takes place at the end of the tribulation. So when Jesus says the gospel will be preached to all the world and then the end will come, he means the end. What did he tell the disciples in Matthew 28? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, the end. 
The end of the age is when Christ returns and we have a new age. You know how the devil likes to copy and counterfeit? You have the whole new age movement today on the planet. Again, Satan trying to preempt the real new age, which will be the age of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this planet for a thousand years. And so the gospel will be preached to all the nations. So anybody who's worried about, well, what if Jesus comes right now? Or what if the rapture takes place right now and not everybody's heard? Well, God's promise is everybody will hear one way or the other. As you know, the word gospel literally means good news. So this angel is going to bring good news. This term, this phrase, is used only here in Revelation. This is the only place. And so we see here we're we're past the halfway point of the tribulation now. We're right at the halfway point or just past. And yet we still see, even at this late stage in God's judgment, He continues to offer everlasting life to the world. Even in the worst of times, God has good news for those who will listen. That's the key as we find this phrase over and over again in the book of Revelation and the Gospels. Let he who has ears to hear, hear. And we're told in Revelation chapter 1 that there's a, there's a special blessing for those who read the words and hear them. It's not enough to just read them. You need to hear spiritually, but let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and your mind. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Fear God. You know, in uh, Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is something missing today in our child rearing as well. And I've seen it up close and personal, folks, and it ain't pretty. This modern new way of, uh, quote, raising children. Uh, there's actually a book about free-range children. And the concept of the book, I have... I know all this because I actually have a family member who practices this, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. The concept behind the free-range child is you basically just let them do whatever they want. And they will just naturally raise themselves, I guess. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think I want to raise my child the same way I would raise a chicken. You might really lay an egg with that one. Free range. No, the, the traditional understanding backed up by Scripture, a small child, the first step in training them, teaching them to learn obedience and respect for authority is it has to be by fear. They're not mature enough yet to understand obedience out of love. Because I think as we recently discussed, I watched one of my messages from a few weeks ago. Children are born in sin. They're born to be very selfish, very self-centered. It's all about me, my needs, mine. And there's a lot of adults like that today, by the way, too. And so, but today there's almost a universal ban on spanking children. So I guess the Bible's full of baloney when it says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Wickedness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it far 
from him. What kind of rod are we talking about here? Not some tranny named Rod. Not a hot rod. It's an implement of punishment. And so you start by teaching the child a little fear. As in, you do that and you're going to get whacked. And as they get older and they mature, then they begin to understand the concept of obedience out of love. But they don't start out that way. And neither do adults, neither do people in terms of their relationship with God. I know it's His kindness that leads us to repentance, but in the book of Jude, Jude says some people have to be won over basically by fear. As I said in that same message that I rewatched, we have to scare the hell out of them. And I'm talking about the hell down there. I'm not cussing. To get the heaven into somebody, you've got to scare the hell out of them. And then once they learn the fear of the Lord, then they can begin to learn about His love. That's what I believe. And the angel says, fear God. This is a necessary step to embracing the love of God revealed in the gospel. The first words out of Jesus' mouth when He went public, the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth when He went public, repent! Now, Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so, right? God so loved the world. Greater love hath no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. And yet the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth and Jesus' mouth weren't, my little ones, I want you to know that I love you very much. Um, No, it was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your sin and follow me. That was the message. So the angel says, fear God. Repent. Repentance accompanies faith. I pray it for many loved ones every night. God, give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. And I've told you this many times. Because it is a gift. It doesn't come natural for us as human beings to have faith in God. Because we are fallen. We are depraved. One of the pioneers of modern Christian contemporary music, Steve Taylor, had a song. One of the lyrics was, how many of you ever heard of Steve Taylor? I bet Roy has. No? Yeah? It's harder to believe than not to. Hello? It's harder to believe than not to. It's easy to not believe. It's harder to believe. We need God's help to believe. We need the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. It's not our tendency to repent. Our tendency is to just keep going full full bore into a sinful lifestyle, right? If it feels good, do it. No, that doesn't come natural. We need the gift of repentance and the gift of faith from God that He wants to give us if we're willing to receive it. Fear God and give glory to Him in contrast or as opposed to the falsely resurrected beast that the whole world is now worshiping, this angel is sending a message to those on the earth who might still have ears to hear. Fear God. Don't fear the beast. Give him the glory, not the beast. For the hour of his, God's judgment is come. The first half of the tribulation, 
which had quite a few devastating things happening, as we learned earlier in the book. But it was just a warm-up, a wake-up call compared to the second half referred to in the Bible as the Great Tribulation. The entire seven years is not the Great Tribulation. The second half is the Great Tribulation. So it just gets worse and worse. And this judgment here that he is speaking of, the hour of his judgment has come. It's speaking specifically about the judgment upon Babylon, which is not necessarily a geographical place. It's, it's, it's a spirit. It's a mentality. Babylon is the one world system that's being thrust upon us even as we speak. Judgment upon Babylon, the beast, and his worshipers. And then the angel says, Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So in other words, instead of worshiping this destroyer, the Antichrist, who will personally be indwelt by Satan, that probably happens at the midway point. As We know that Judas, was uh, heart and mind, was in the wrong place. And then right before he betrayed Christ, Satan entered into Judas. To the best of my recollection, the only two people in the Bible that are mentioned as having been specifically indwelt by Satan himself were Judas and the coming Antichrist. So worship the creator of all things, not the Antichrist, not Satan, the destroyer who enters the temple of God and declares himself to be God. And so here comes another angel, verse 8. He proclaims part of the bad news of judgment to those among all nations. As we saw Matthew 28, 19, proclaim the good news to all nations. Here this angel is proclaiming the bad news to those who will not receive the good news of the gospel. The bad news, Babylon has fallen. So if you've bought bought into Babylon, you will fall with Babylon. I have likened it in times past to the Matrix, if you've seen any of the Matrix movies, where everybody's living in a simulation and they don't realize it, and they're totally controlled. Many people are in the Matrix right now, you know that. That explains a lot of this crazy stuff that's going on. You look at these people in these situations, you say, how could anybody in their right mind go there? How could anybody in their right mind do what they are doing? And I forget who it was. I had a conversation the other day, and we were talking about the fact that you can be highly intelligent and still be totally deceived, totally stupid, so totally out of your mind. Intelligence has nothing to do with it. And i got to be honest with you. Sometimes I've been envious of people who are handicapped or so forth, mentally challenged or whatever you want to call it, because a lot less of the issues of this world run through their minds than run through many of our minds. And so maybe people feel sorry for them, they pity them. I don't. My hope and my prayer is that they will still come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As they've said so rightly, there's a fine line between genius and madness, and many of those so-called geniuses have crossed over. They really have. The ones that are doing experimentations with human-animal hybrids, I'd say that's crossing over, wouldn't you? Babylon has fallen. 
First mentioned here, by the way, in Revelation, this is actually the first mention of Babylon. And from here on, it becomes the focus of God's judgment in the following section, chapters 16 through 18. The expression fallen anticipates the later judgments described in chapter 18, verse 2. Babylon is the antithesis of God's kingdom. Makes sense. Babylon will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's the antithesis of God's kingdom. It's the one world government, economy, and religion ruled over not by God, but by man apart from God. She, Babylon, the one world government, religion, and monetary system has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And this seems to imply her relationship with the harlot church of the last days. Of course, they're intertwined because that harlot church will ultimately lead to satanic worship in the form of beast worship, antichrist worship, Satan worship. And in the Bible, worship of anyone or anything other than God is considered idolatry or fornication, immorality. Verse 9 Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So the third angel proclaims another judgment, namely that worshipers of the beast and his image who receive his mark will be objects of God's wrath and will be determined for eternal torment along with Satan, the demonic world, and all unsaved people. A third angel followed him, and he mentions those who receive his mark on his forehead or his hand. And again, this is in contrast with or to the mark on the foreheads of God's people. We saw in uh, Revelation 7 the 144,000 Jewish evangelists being sealed. Revelation 7, 3, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Again, we don't know if this will be a visible or invisible mark, but God is going to mark those servants. And the purpose of a seal, any kind of a seal, One, a seal guarantees safety. We now live in a day and age where everything is sealed to the max, isn't it? I remember when I was a kid, most of the products you would purchase, like vitamins and supplements or what have you, many different products, when you would open, there wouldn't be any plastic around the top. Now, a lot of things have plastic around them, don't they? So you have to peel that off, break that seal, then you open it and there's another seal inside. We didn't have any of that growing up that I recall. But as you get, again, as people get weirder and weirder, like going into the grocery store and licking the ice cream. You remember that? People get weirder and weirder, crazier and crazier. You got to do more stuff to protect the general populace. People going and inserting things into products that shouldn't be there. So I understand why everything is so highly sealed today. But a seal, one number one, it guarantees safety. 
God even sealed Cain, remember that? Even though he wasn't a particularly good guy, God knew when the word got out what a dirtbag Cain was because he killed his brother Abel, who was a righteous man. Everybody was going to want to take that guy out. It's like when they throw the pedophile into the general populace in the prison. Everybody wants a piece of that guy because even criminals hate pedophilia. Isn't that amazing? And yet, oh, that, that reminds me. We talk about the progression of all this. You do realize, don't you, that all this transgender stuff and drag queen stuff, the drag queen stuff's getting out of hand. I was reading where they're going to start doing remakes of some of the classic movies like fairy tales and stuff, but now they're going to use drag queens. Man, that is such a drag. I can't tell you. But we talk about pushing the envelope and how sin is progressive and just when you think, well, surely they're not going to push it any farther, right? There are groups out there lobbying for legalizing pedophilia. In a world where parents, good godly parents, are having their children taken away because they homeschool or because they teach them the truths of the Bible, while they're doing all that, they're basically giving our society license to abuse children to the max. It's that same old bait and switch, point the finger. What I say you're doing is what I'm really doing, but I say you're doing it, therefore I'm right and you're wrong. If you don't think there's a concerted effort to totally tear down and destroy our society, then you are not awake because it's happening. And it's all part of the end time scenario. It's not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's not peripheral. It's exactly what God said would happen, and it's happening. The purpose of a seal, one, it guarantees safety. God is guaranteeing the safety of the 144,000, but not just them, as we'll see in a moment. Two, this is where it gets really good, a seal is a mark of ownership. You put your seal on it, your stamp. It's a mark of ownership. And thirdly, I like this, a seal certifies that something or someone is real or authentic. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you know you already have a seal on you? God's stamp, guaranteeing safety for those of you who struggle with fear. You've been stamped. You've been sealed. God has guaranteed your safety. Again, God's idea of safety is different than ours. If God allows something bad to happen to you, it's ultimately for good purposes. Do you know that? We only see things through a very narrow lens. God sees the big picture. From God's perspective, suffering for Him, suffering for Christ, is the highest honor. Experiencing martyrdom, laying down your life. We, we go, oh no, that's horrible. I don't want that to happen. Really? Do you know what honor you're going to receive in the kingdom of God if that happens to you? Unbelievable. We have to start seeing things the way God sees them, 
the biblical worldview as we spoke of recently. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee, there it is, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Right now we have that position in Christ. We have all things in Christ, but we've not yet literally experienced the fulfillment which will take place when we stand before Him and we see Him face to face. Then we will experience, and the actual fulfillment is when we receive our eternal, immortal, imperishable, glorified bodies. That's the fulfillment. We already have it all now because God does not operate within the confines of space and time. He is eternal. So when He looks at you, He sees you as completed and fulfilled. But in our experience, we have not experienced it totally and entirely until we're in that resurrected body living in the very presence of God. We move on now with this warning from this third angel. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. He is all those who pledge allegiance to the beast by receiving his mark on their right hand or forehead. Has anybody tried... You know how they will take the different letters of the alphabet and they each have a number, A, 1, B, 2, and so forth. And down through the years, people have calculated, you know, like John F. Kennedy's the Antichrist and different people because they put the numbers with the name and they add it up, you know. You ever seen that? I wonder if anybody's done that with Fauci. <laughs> I'd kind of like to know. I'd like to know. Okay. I know it's not Biden. He can't even string two sentences together. But could be Fauci. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength. Now, what's the significance of this? In ancient times, as you probably know, wine was commonly diluted with water. A couple of reasons. One, to make it go further. But two, the goal in drinking the wine was not to become intoxicated, but Wine was purer to drink than the water in many places in the ancient world. It would kill the bacteria and so forth. Paul even told Timothy, drink a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments, which probably were related to bacteria and so forth from the drinking water. So when it says that the wrath, the wine of the wrath of God, they will drink of it full strength, it's not going to be watered down, folks. The wrath of God is not going to be watered down during the second half of the tribulation. This is wine, the wine of God's wrath undiluted. Think about that. In Romans, in the book of Romans, Paul speaks of the wrath of God as being revealed from heaven, Romans 1.18, against unbelievers as God allows them to receive the just consequences of their own ungodly behavior. In Revelation 6.17, it speaks of the great day of His wrath was announced also 11:18 now it's going to be experienced in its full strength by those who follow the beast it's poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation what does that mean indignation is anger or extreme anger mingled with contempt disgust or abhorrence god is approaching that point and he is totally righteous in all of his ways if he's angry 
it's a righteous anger. If he's indignant, it's a righteous indignation. God is never wrong. God is never bad or evil. And therefore, if he's angry, it's a righteous anger. If he's indignant, it's a righteous indignation. And this is the cup of his indignation, this full-strength wrath will be poured into, and the people of this world will be forced to drink from it. Anger or extreme anger mingled with contempt, disgust, or abhorrence. Psalm 75, 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. The unbelieving, unrepentant, Beast worshipers of the tribulation will drink the full cup of God's wrath right down to the nasty dregs. Does that sound like something you would like to experience? Why wouldn't, I don't, wouldn't think anybody in their right mind, and as we've been, those people are fewer and farther between. No one in their right mind would want to drink from that cup. Notice it's fully mixed. Nothing of grace or hope is blended with it. And this terrible threat is far worse than the fear of any of man's threats. You know, people give in to fear, fear of man, fear of the threats of man. This unmixed cup is already mingled and prepared for Satan and the beast's followers. The Greek term for wrath means boiling indignation. You ever boiled something and you had something on high and, and you have to bring it up to a certain level but you, you don't turn it off quickly enough and it all just boils out. That happens to me sometimes when I'm making oatmeal or cream of wheat in the microwave. All of a sudden that sucker just comes, woo, it's just rising up. That's how God's wrath is going to be. He's suppressed it. He's held it back. He's a God of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. He's held it back for 6,000 years. It did spew over a little bit during a thing called Noah's Flood. It spewed over again at a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And there have been other incidents in human history, but by and large he has restrained himself, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But this point in the tribulation, it's all going to boil over. Boiling indignation from a root word in the Greek meaning to boil. And we've sometimes used that term, man, he's boiling mad. I'm boiling mad. But can you imagine what it's like when God is boiling mad? He, the same one who's drinking of the wrath, wine of the wrath of God, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, you might be thinking, well, I thought people who go to that place were cast into outer darkness and so forth. How could they be, this be happening in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb? And that's part of the torment that even though you, not you, but whoever rejects Christ would be in this place of eternal torment. Obviously, 
the Lamb, and even those who follow the Lamb will be able to see what's happening in that other place, and those people will be fully aware that they could have been on the other side. That, in fact, probably will be the ultimate torment, the knowledge that you don't have to be there where you are in a place of eternal torment. All you had to do was choose Christ, but you didn't. So the person who worships the beast specifically in this context will find that his or her doom is sealed forever. Those who choose to drink from the harlot's cup, as tempting as it may be, the harlot's cup of mixed abominations will be made to drink from the cup of God's unmixed wrath. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And that's the thing about it. We've talked about this so many times. Those who are banking on the fact that no matter how much evil they've done in this life, at least when they die they can be at peace because there's nothing after this life. I hate to tell them. It's not like that. You are going to exist forever, but it won't be living forever. It'll be an eternal existence of torment the wicked will be tormented in the lake of fire forever with no hope of, one, annihilation. See, annihilation would be better than eternal torment, right? Just to be destroyed forever, just to cease to exist. No hope of annihilation or restoration. It is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. There's no karma. You can't come back as a butterfly, an ant, a dog, a cow, a horse, a pig. Which, well, I don't really see the advantage of that. It's, I mean, I, I've already been here as a human, but next time I've got to be a pig? <laughs> I don't call that good karma. No hope of annihilation. You'll want to die forever. Can you imagine... Now, I would imagine if we were all honest here today, there's probably been times in our lives for some of us, maybe many of us, where you thought, I just want to die and get out of here. Especially as a believer. I mean, if you know that that's a promotion, you're struggling with health issues, emotional issues, relationship, all the stuff we pray about every week. Sometimes you think, man, I just, I'd like to be out of here. Right? Can you imagine, though, being in that place of torment then you'd really want to die. But you can't. Forever and ever, you can't. No hope of annihilation. No hope of restoration. In contrast, the righteous will have rest, peace, joy. Forever. Think of one or more of the very best moments in your life. Think of that day you felt better than you've ever felt in your whole life. I quoted my friend Terry Cook a couple weeks ago when he used to say, I feel a whole lot more like I do right now than I did when I first got here. If you can follow that, good luck. I feel a whole lot more like I do right now than I did when I first got here. Think about the best feelings you've ever had. Multiply it by a gazillion, and that's how you're going to feel forever. What do you think of that? 
Is it worth a little bit of trial and tribulation in this life? Absolutely. It's worth even a lot of trial and tribulation in this life. Is it worth some sacrifices? Is it worth resisting the flesh? Is it, is it worth saying no to the flesh and yes to God? Is it worth accepting the truth of God's word? If God says that homosexuality is an abomination, but you feel this strong inclination, is it worth saying no to that and saying yes to God? If you feel a strong inclination to commit adultery with someone, is it worth saying no to that and yes to God, knowing what's in store for you? Is it worth not fornicating, which is so commonplace today, even in the church? They changed that old song. What was it? Celebrate, celebrate. Remember that? Dance to the music. Now it's fornicate, fornicate. There was even a TV show. I never watched it, but I know about it. It was called Californication. Hello? Pick your poison, folks. It's all out there. It's all out there. By the way, speaking of pushing the envelope, in a very short period of time, they've gone in some of these commercials from having a couple of gay guys just sitting next to each other, you know, kind of cuddling up a little bit. Now they're kissing. And kids are seeing it. Kids are seeing it. And that's telling the kids, this is normal. This is good. This is okay. So um, uh, fasten your seatbelts and wait for it to come to a home near you. They have no rest day or night. Try to picture yourself in a perpetual state of unrest. I'm sure we've all experienced moments of unrest, of uneasiness, of tenseness, you know, on edge. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had one of those moments? Your flesh is crawling. You ever use that term? Picture yourself in a perpetual state of unrest with no ability to recover or recuperate. And again, this is in direct contrast to what awaits the saints. See, those who want to point the finger at God and say it's not fair, he's a, he's a meanie, he's evil. No, 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 no. God has laid it all out for us, folks, in black and white. He's given us everything we need to know to make a good choice, a good decision. He hasn't hidden anything. It's your choice. Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven say, this is farther in the chapter, it'll be next week, but I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. But they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name... Notice God keeps reiterating this, that this is an irrevocable death sentence. And so again, you know, some people uh, mock, criticize, so forth, when we talk about those things happening in our world right now that are preparing people for the mark. I've, I've heard reports of people getting upset with me because I've said the COVID vaccine is a step in that direction. And people have been, have been offended by me for saying that. But we are being set up. We are being prepared for the mark. 
God keeps reiterating this in His Word that the mark of the beast is a death sentence. There's no turning back. Now again, I don't believe we'll be here for it. But I think it's still important for us to realize and recognize what's happening in the world, where it's headed, so that we can warn other people. Verse 12, this is our final verse for the day. Boy, we're right on time, at least by my clock. Here is the patience of the saints, or in some translations says, this calls for the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The term patience suggests persevering endurance. Paul talks about finishing the race. You know, again, in, in some of our, you know, weak, flabby evangelism, we think if we can just get somebody to pray a sinner's prayer, and if you happen to be privileged to lead that person to Christ, then you can put another notch on the side of your Bible. I actually wish there were more believers who had more notches on the side of their Bible. I've said before, one of the most amazing, incredible experiences in this life is to have the privilege of leading somebody to Christ. And yet far too few believers actually do that. But the term patience means persevering, endurance, finishing the race. It's great. There has to be a starting point, right? There has to be a point in time. Although I think sometimes actually people get saved gradually. The Holy Spirit's working on them through various means, directly. Maybe they're reading their Bible. God is speaking to them through the Word. Maybe somebody's witnessing to them. Maybe they're going to church and hearing a preacher, perhaps not as crazy as me. <laughs> but I do believe that salvation, sometimes it, it has an appearance of being instantaneous, but even for the person who appears to be just, wow, all of a sudden they came up, they got saved, they prayed. The Holy Spirit's been working on them, folks. And so I do believe some people just wake up one day and they realize, you know what? I believe. I'm a believer. But it's always good to make a public proclamation of your faith. And that's part of what baptism is all about. So if you haven't signed up and you'd like to be baptized, or maybe you got baptized before you were saved and you'd like to get baptized as a true believer, what have you, maybe you were sprinkled and you want to get the... The real deal, sign up for that. The tribulation saints, this calls for the patience of the saints, this whole scenario. The tribulation saints will be able to endure knowing that at the end of the day, the righteous will be vindicated. Folks, this applies to all of us. We all need to understand this and realize this. We all want vindication right here and now, don't we? That's, that's not how it works. The vindication comes at the end of the day when Christ is on the throne and the satanic world system that we now live in is crushed and destroyed. That's when the vindication comes. It's, it's last man standing. At the end of the day, we'll be standing with Jesus and they will be in eternal torment. And I don't wish that on anybody. With all that is within me, God's not willing that any should perish, neither am I. Neither are you, I don't believe. But the fact of the matter, many will perish because we can't force them to make the right choice. It's an individual choice each person must make for themselves. The tribulation saints will be able to endure knowing that at the end of the day the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be punished. 
The end result will be eternal rest for the righteous and eternal torment for the wicked. I'm going to end with this quote. I don't remember where I got it from, but it's good. The doctrine of eternal punishment, though unpopular with liberal scholars and difficult to accept, is nevertheless clearly taught in the Bible. The doctrine of eternal punishment. Jesus and the Apostle John say more on this subject than does all the rest of the Bible. Many comfortable people today dislike the idea of judgment, but salvation slash deliverance in the Old Testament picture was not complete without vindication, removing the shame of the oppressed by punishing their unrepentant oppressors. The martyrs are here assured that they will be vindicated to the utmost, as will each one of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's stand. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, not because it's religious, because it gives privacy. Those who want prayer can raise their hands and not feel embarrassed. So if you need prayer today for any reason, please raise your hand. Boy, I see a lot of hands. Okay. That's okay. That's good. God loves it when we pray. He tells us to call upon Him, to ask, to seek, to knock. So I see each hand, but even more importantly, God sees those hands. Father, we lift each one up to you now. Lord, your word says that uh, whenever two or more agree is touching anything, that you would hear that prayer, Lord, and we agree as the body of Christ here this morning. Lord, for those who have raised their hand for salvation, I don't know if there are any, but if there are, I pray that you would hear their cry, hear their prayer. You would enable them. Give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. Help them to receive, to open the door to Jesus Christ. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him or her. Father, so those seeking you right now, we ask you to help them to open that door. We pray that you would walk through that door and take up residence in their hearts and in their minds as their king of hearts, the prince of peace, the savior of their souls. And Father, for those with health issues, and there are many of us, Lord, we're all getting older here today and struggling with different health issues, we pray for healing, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit oil, your anointing oil upon each and every one. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would curse these sicknesses, these diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, leukemia, COPD, even allergies. Lord, we know you care no matter how major or minor the condition is. You see, you know, you care. You said you don't... You're even concerned about one bird who falls from the sky. We ask you to pour out your healing upon each one today, God. We thank you. We praise you. We receive that healing in Jesus' name. Not because we deserve it, but because you are a loving, gracious, merciful Heavenly Father who loved to give good gifts to your children. We pray for physical healing. We pray for mental and emotional healing. For deliverance, Father, from oppression, from those things that plague us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, anger, depression, jealousy, hatred. We ask that you would forgive us for these things and banish them from our hearts and our minds in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray for healing of damaged or broken relationships, restoration. Help us to be peacemakers, Father. Help us to be the first ones to reach out and to be at peace no matter how the other party responds. Pray for provision. Lord, one of the greatest stresses that we face in this life 
is the stress and anxiety that comes with financial problems. Lord, for those problems that we have created ourselves, please forgive us. Please help us to remedy them. We pray for wisdom and guidance, and we thank you that you do provide for your people. Lord, we pray for provision for each one here today with that kind of a prayer request. Father, you know everything here today. You know everyone's heart, everyone's mind. And so if we've missed anything, we ask you just to cover those bases. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you for your word. Pray that you continue to strengthen us, help us to have the endurance and the perseverance that we need to stand firm in these last days. Lord, give us a holy boldness. Lord, that we could be strong, uphold that which is right, that which is good, to stand against that which is evil, yet without malice, without anger, without bitterness, without vindictiveness, but at the same time, strength, just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, amen.